0: Here we are, darling. This is our compartment.
1: And we have it all to ourselves. Marvellous.
0: I'll just stow the cases. No, wait. I want my magazine. My dear wife. Now there's a word to which I must become accustomed. My dear new wife, I fully intend to keep you occupied with activities far more entertaining than reading.
2: (laughs) Nigel! Plymouth, next stop.
0: Your magazine, Mrs. Carruthers.
1: Why, thank you, Dr. Carruthers.
0: You can express your gratitude properly once I get this blasted case stowed under the seat.
1: Won't it fit?
0: There appears to be something blocking it. What the devil?
1: What is it? Can you see? My
0: God! (laughs)
2: ensemble theater presents mysterious journey theater for the mind a honeymoon couple makes a horrifying discovery in their train compartment from agatha christie the queen of the Who It. this is poirot and the body on the train
3: thank you for coming mr perot i am millicent halliday
4: "'How could I resist a summons from the famous Mrs. Alliday, widow of the American Steel King?'
3: "'There are plenty who reckon I'm made of that same steel. "'Well, sir, I had to be in order to run my late husband's company. "'I guess you know why I sent for you.
4: You've heard the news?' "'But of course. The mystery woman whose body was discovered on the train. "'The papers have been full of nothing else. "'She was identified as the Honourable Mrs. Rupert Carrington.' But before her marriage, she was...
3: Flossie Halliday, my daughter.
4: My condolences, madame.
3: Thank you. Some years back, my husband hired you to expose an embezzler in his firm. He was mighty impressed. Now, well, Scotland Yard is on the case, but I want my own man to investigate. Money is no object. I'll spend my last cent to catch that damned scoundrel that murdered my Flossie. I'm counting on you to deliver the goods.
4: "'I accept, madame. But I must know more. In Paris, before her marriage, your daughter's name was linked to the scandalous Count de la Rochefort.'"
3: "'That no good fortune, Hunter. I put a stop to that soon as I got wind of it.'"
4: "'And then, some years later, she married an Englishman?'
3: "'The Honourable Rupert Carrington. Mr. Perrault, I loved my girl, but she was a fool when it came to men.'" Rupert Carrington gambled away his money and married Flossie with an eye toward my millions. I saw which way the wind was blowing. It's one reason I bought this oversized, overpriced London mansion. Had a feeling I'd better stay close. I tried to tell her, but...
4: But Mama's mornings fell on deaf ears.
3: Something like that. Well, her eyes were open soon after the wedding. She left him and moved in here with me. They've been living separate lives for most of their marriage. And you can bet I tied up Floss's money so that good-for-nothing dog can't get near it. He gets by on an allowance that I dole out, but only so long as he toes the line.
4: Now we arrive at the present and your daughter's journey to Plymouth. First off, she wasn't going to Plymouth. No.
3: No, sir. Flossie was on her way to join a house party at Avonmead Court.
4: A guest, no doubt, of the Duchess of Swansea.
3: That's right. Flossie left London on the 1214 Plymouth Express. She arrived at Bristol, where she had to change trains at 2.50. She was traveling alone in a private compartment.
4: Her maid did not accompany her?
3: She did. Her maid, a gal named Jane Mason, traveled in third class.
4: Ah, proceed.
3: This party was a real fancy affair, so Flossie was traveling with nearly all of her jewels, valued at more than a hundred
4: thousand dollars. Ooh la la! And who had charge of the jewels, your daughter or her maid? Flossie
3: always kept them with her in a blue morocco case.
4: Continue, madame.
3: "'At Bristol, the maid, Jane, collected the luggage and went to Flossie's compartment. "'Only my daughter announced a change of plans. "'She was staying aboard the Plymouth Express. "'Jane was to get off, check the bags, and wait for Flossie's return.'
4: "'Was your daughter given to impulsive last-minute changes?' "'No, sir.
3: Jane was astonished, but did as she was told. "'Only train after train pulled in and her mistress didn't get off.' After the last train of the day, Jane checked into a hotel for the night.
4: The next morning, she reads about a woman's body discovered on the train.
3: Right. Not knowing what to do, Jane headed straight back to town. She's here right now, up in her room.
4: Is there nothing to account for your daughter's sudden change of plan?
3: According to Jane, there was a fella in Flossie's carriage.
4: Did she recognize this man?
3: No, sir. He was looking out the window and she only saw him from the
4: back. Hmm... Pardon, madame. It is just that the inkstand on your desk. What about it? It is crooked. You see, I must instantly adjust it. What? Ah, much better. One must have order so that the little grey can function. Now, madame, it is your belief that this unknown man was the cause of your daughter's altered plans?
3: Seems obvious.
4: And you have no idea as to who this gentleman in question might be?
3: No. That is... No, sir, I don't.
4: Hmm. We may proceed now to the discovery of the body.
3: It was a young couple, newlyweds, that found my poor Flossie stuffed under the seat like a discarded pile of trash.
4: (laughs) Do you require a moment, madame?
3: I'm all right. I've got to be. Anyway, it turns out that the bridegroom was a doctor, so he examined the body. And? She'd been chloroformed, then stabbed. No weapon found.
4: At time of death?
3: She'd been dead about four hours. It must have happened not long after she left Bristol. Either between Bristol and Weston, or between Weston and Taunton.
4: Her jewel case? Gone. Your daughter's fortune. To whom does it pass after her death?
3: Right after her marriage... Flossie made a will leaving everything to her husband, Rotten Rupert. I may as well tell you, Mr. Perrault, that Flossie had recently, finally, agreed to let my lawyers start divorce proceedings.
4: I see. And where is Monsieur Carrington now?
3: Here in London. No alibi, if that's what you're wondering. He says he was staying in the country and only returned late last night.
4: Hmm. If possible, I would like now to speak with the maid, Jane Mason.
3: I'll ring for the butler, Blake. He'll fetch her, and then we can talk to her.
4: Pardon. I must speak with the maid alone.
3: But I want to be there when you do. It
4: is necessary,
3: madame. Fine.
1: You wish to speak with me, sir?
4: Oui, mademoiselle Messon. Yesterday morning, before departing London, your mistress, was she perhaps... Agitated? Anxious?
1: Oh, no, sir. Leastways, not until...
4: Until Bristol?
1: That's right, sir. She was ever so nervous then. Jumpy, you might say. Hardly seemed to know what she was saying. What
4: did she say, exactly?
1: Well, near as I can remember, she said, Change of plans, Mason. I shan't be getting off here after all. You'd better stow the luggage in the cloakroom, then get yourself some tea and wait for me in the station.
4: You are certain she instructed you to wait?
1: Oh, yes, sir. She said, I shall return by a later train. I don't quite know when. It may be quite late.
4: Did you question your mistress?
1: Oh, no, sir. I mean, it wasn't my place, was it? But I did think it very odd.
4: You must have wondered, no? What did you think?
1: Well, I I thought it must have to do with the gentleman... He never spoke, but she kept glancing over at him as if to check that she was doing right.
4: You never saw the man's face?
1: No, sir. He had his back to me the whole time.
4: Can you describe him at all?
1: Well, he wore a tan overcoat and cap. He was tall, dark hair.
4: Could he, by chance, have been Mr. Rupert Carrington?
1: The master? Oh, I... well, I I suppose it could have been. I... I can't be certain. I... I just never thought of it being Mr. Carrington. We so seldom saw him.
4: Tell me, how was your mistress dressed?
1: She wore her white fox fur hat with the veil and her bright blue coat and skirt. a uh, electric blue, she called it.
4: Very striking.
1: That Scotland Yard fellow Inspector Japp says as how that was a good thing. He says that folks what saw my poor mistress would be more likely to recall her because of her clothing.
4: Very true. Merci, mademoiselle.
3: Well, you spoke to Jane Mason? Indeed. And?
4: Madame, I must ask you to be frank. Tell me everything. But everything.
3: What do you mean? I have.
4: You are positive? Absolutely. Ah, bien. There is no more to be said. I must decline your case.
3: What? Why?
4: Madame, it is clear that you are keeping something back. And so, au revoir.
3: Wait, You win. I reckon this letter is what you're after. Oh, you permit? Take it. Though I'd sure like to know how you knew about it. Go on, read.
4: Cher madame, it is with infinite pleasure and much impatience that I look forward to seeing you again. I have never forgotten those days in Paris. But before long, perhaps sooner than you think, I shall behold once more the lady who reigns supreme in my heart.
3: What a load of horse hockey.
4: He goes on. Believe, mon cher, in my undying devotion. Armand de la Rochefort.
3: That letter was in my daughter's handbag.
4: And until that moment, you had no idea that your daughter had intended to renew her acquaintance with the notorious Count de la Rochefort?
3: It hit me like a thunderbolt. The fella is an out-and-out scoundrel. But what I want to know is how you knew about this letter.
4: Madame, I did not. But to track footprints and recognize cigarette ash is not all there is to being a detective. One must also be a psychologist. It is clear that you dislike and mistrust your son-in-law. He benefits by your daughter's death. The maid's description of the mystery man could well be Rupert Carrington. Yet you do not denounce him, nor do you demand his arrest. Why? Something has sent your suspicion in another direction. Therefore— "'You are keeping something back.'
3: "'Before I found this letter, I was sure that Rupert Carrington was
4: guilty.' "'Rochefort writes, before long, perhaps sooner than you think. "'Was he the man who travelled from London on the Plymouth Express "'and entered your daughter's compartment? "'The Count is also, I believe, tall and dark?'
3: "'Oh, Flossie had a type, all right. "'If only I knew. It's got to be one of them.'
4: "'But is it the mysterious man Rochefort or Carrington?' Or someone unknown.
3: You'll take my case, won't you?
4: Madame, I will. Scotland Yard has, I presume, a list of the missing jewels?
3: I can do better than that. While you were interviewing the maid, Inspector Japp called. He's here now. You stay put and I'll send him right in.
0: Well, well, well. If it isn't Monsieur Poirot, how are the little grey cells, eh? (laughs) Still going strong? They function, my good Jap. Assuredly, they do. That's all right, then. So, what's your take? Was it the soon-to-be ex-husband, the past lover, or just some murderous crook after the jewels? It is too soon to say, but I am curious as to your thoughts, mon ami. Well, we're keeping a sharp eye on all known fences. We'll soon know if the killer tries to dispose of the jewels. He didn't swipe those shiners to admire their sparkle. Meanwhile, I've got a man watching, Rupert Carrington. A wise precaution, although perhaps a day late. You will have your little joke. Well, if that's all, I'm off to Bristol. Bonchance, chance, Inspector. When I return, maybe we could... That is... Look... We have our different ways of looking at things, you and me, but I was thinking... That we might confer on the case? That's it! I mean, I don't mind if you don't.
4: Professional courtesy and all that. Mm, uh, Bien. When you return, you will tell me the results of your trip to Bristol? To be sure. Excellent. Au revoir, Inspector.
3: Now, wait a minute. You're not going to Bristol yourself?
4: Why should we both go? Inspector Jap is a whirlwind of action. He will dash about, interviewing witnesses, searching for clues. He is most energetic.
3: I know nothing about detective work, but isn't that good?
4: It has its place. Jap will bustle about with the greatest zeal. Me, I shall sit still and ponder. You see, the good inspector is often so busy pounding on the door he fails to notice that the door is already open.
3: I don't understand anything you just said, but I do expect results, Perrault. What are you going to do? Remember, you've got carte
4: blanche. Me? I shall expend threepence in telephoning the Ritz, where, as you may have noticed from the letterhead, Armand de la Rochefort is staying. So you do suspect the count. But what would be his motive? One hundred thousand dollars in jewels is a fine motive, However, murder seems out of character for the Count. And if Rupert Carrington killed his wife to gain an inheritance, why did he then steal her jewels?
3: I don't want questions. I want answers. Keep me informed of your progress.
4: Most assuredly, madame. Au revoir. (laughs) Inspector
0: Jap. Good morning, Poirot. You will join me for breakfast, yes? Breakfast? Why, I've been up for hours. Oh, still, I might have a cup of coffee. Maybe a bit of bacon. Oh, some toast. But of course. And your journey to Bristol, it was productive? Mm, I think so. Did some good work. And you? Me? I have arranged my ideas. (laughs) Oh, you have, have you? (laughs) Too bad the prosecution prefer facts.
4: (laughs) True. In fact... I have a fact for you, Jap. The Count de la Rochefort, a former suitor to the victim, departed the Ritz the day before
0: yesterday. Day of the murder, eh? I'll make inquiries. Uh, Meanwhile, would you like to hear what I've been doing? You will permit me to speculate, no? Why not?
4: You found the knife with which the crime was committed. Lucky guess. Furthermore, it was found by the train tracks between Weston and Taunton. What the devil? Also, you have interviewed the newsboy who spoke with Mrs. Carrington at the Weston stop.
0: How did you? Don't tell me it was those almighty little grey cells.
4: I rejoice to hear that you admit they are almighty. (laughs) Tell me, did she give the newsboy a shilling for a tip? No, she did not. It
0: was half a crown. Thus, naturalement, the boy remembered her well. I'll say he did. Half crowns don't come his way every day. She hailed him and bought two magazines. One had a picture of a girl in blue on the cover. That'll match me, she told him. Well, that was enough for me. Oh, yes? According to the doctor's evidence, the crime must have been committed before Taunton. I guessed the killer would throw the knife away at once, so I searched alongside the line on foot. So energetic. Sure enough, I found the knife. I made inquiries at Taunton about our man. Our man? Carrington or the French fellow, Rochefort, one of them. We'll narrow it down. Unfortunately, Taunton is a big station. No one noticed a tall, dark man. He probably came back to London by a later train, very likely, and here's another bit of news. The thieves are passing the jewels all right. The large emerald was pawned last night and who do you think sold it? Who can say I know only that it was a short man huh? what well, how do you yeah, all right. He's on the short side a eh? It was Red Ned, a well-known jewel thief, and not one to stick at murder. Is it so? Usually works with a woman partner, Gracie Kidd. But she doesn't seem to be part of the scheme this time. You have arrested this Red Ned person? I certainly did. I congratulate you, mon ami. Mind you, it's the other fellow we really want, the dark-haired man who rode down with Mrs. Carrington on the train. He's the one who planned the job, you mark my words. But Red Ned will never squeal on a pal.
4: I think, mon ami, that I can
0: locate this pal. One of your little ideas, eh? Well, I won't deny it. There are times when you do manage to deliver the goods. Too kind. You've got the devil's own luck, of course. Perhaps. My good Jap, please, stay.
4: Finish your breakfast. I must go. Go? Where are you going? Where is my hat? Ah, here. Ah, so. <laughs> Also, my galoshas, in case it rains. I don't understand. I know. Au revoir, Inspector Jap.
0: Odd little chap. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, no sense letting good food go to waste.
4: Bonjour, Blake. This so proper, so very English butler to Madame Halliday.
2: I am Blake, yes. Please come in, Monsieur Perrault. If you will wait here, I will tell Mrs. Halliday uh, you are—
4: ah! Uh, uh. First, my good Blake, I must ask of you a very great favour, to aid in the investigation for Madame, you understand.
2: I'm afraid I don't understand. There
4: is a room I must see. It is a matter requiring the utmost discretion. Well, really. You are very tall, my good Blake. Be so kind as to lean down. A little more.
2: My dear sir, that would be most irregular. Ah, but it is most imperative, nest pas? Very well. This way.
4: Oh, Blake tells me you insisted on... What on earth are you doing? Picking the lock to this trunk, Madame Alladay. Ah, Blake is with you. Excellent. Close the door, s'il vous plaît. Do as he says, Blake. Remain in the room, please. Very good, madam.
3: I want an explanation, Perot, and I want it now. One moment... Uh,
4: voila! I don't know what you think you... <gasps> Those are Flossie's clothes! One white fox fur hat with a veil, one electric blue coat, and skirt.
1: Here now. What are you lot doing in my room?
4: Shut the door, Blake. Stand with your back to it. Do not let her leave.
1: You devil.
4: Madame Alliday, permit me to introduce Gracie Kidd, also known as Jane Mason, who will shortly join her partner Red Ned in prison.
3: More caviar, Mr. Perrault?
4: S'il vous plaît, madame. After all, it is not every day that one takes luncheon with an American millionaire.
3: I still don't understand. How did you come to suspect Jane Mason?
4: Her insistence on the clothes that her mistress was wearing. She was careful to call attention to them, both to me and Inspector Japp. Why? I reflected that we had only the maid's word for the existence of the mysterious dark-haired man in the carriage at Bristol. So far as the doctor's evidence went, your daughter might easily have been killed before the train reached Bristol. But if that were so, then the maid was lying. And if she was lying, she was an accomplice, and thus would need corroboration for her story. So,
3: she dressed to resemble my daughter.
4: We. Oui. Jane Mason persuades her mistress to wear that particular ensemble. She has already provided herself with a duplicate set of clothing. The maid and her partner enter Mrs. Carrington's compartment between London and Bristol. They chloroform and stab your daughter, then roll her body under the seat. Then the maid, dressed as her mistress, takes her place. Later, you see, everyone is oh so busy tracking the movements of the victim, the French count, and the English husband. No one thinks to verify the alibi of the plain, unimportant maid who claims to have disembarked at Bristol. The maid's partner, Red Ned, does leave the train at Bristol with the jewel case and returns to London. Jane Mason remains aboard. At Weston, she chooses a newsboy and makes sure he will remember her by means of a large tip and calls attention to her brat blue clothes. Back on the train, After departing Weston, the maid hurls the knife out the window so as to box the place where the crime presumably occurred. And then? Then, madame, the wicked maid changes her clothes, gets off at Taunton, and takes a return train to Bristol. There she waits on the platform and then goes to a hotel for the night, just as she has said, returning to London the next day.
3: If I follow you, this was all just a theory.
4: True. But when the tireless Inspector Japp returned from his expedition, he confirmed all my deductions. Also, he informed me that a well-known crook had been arrested, trying to fence the sterling jewels. I knew that, wherever the partner was, he would be the opposite of the man Jane Mason described. Not tall, but short. Not dark, but fair. Or, perhaps, with red hair. Red Ned. Exactement. Once I learned that Red Ned had been arrested and that he always worked with a woman named Gracie Kidd, I knew.
3: Mr. Perrault, I owe you an enormous debt, and the check I intend to write you won't go near to settling it.
4: Merci, madame. There's a good jap. He will get the official credit. But although he has got Gracie Kidd, I believe that I, as you Americans say, got his goat. <laughs>
2: Poirot and the Body on the Train was adapted from the Plymouth Express, a short story by Agatha Christie. The cast includes David A. Gingrich as Poirot, Patty Armado lund as Mrs. Halliday, Russell Constance as Inspector Japp, Margaret Rather as Jane Mason, with Laura Parzinski and Ian Garthwaite as the honeymoon couple. Artists Ensemble Theatre produces live theatre, and since the advent of the pandemic, it also produces this podcast, Theatre for the Mind. Learn more, perhaps consider donating, at artistsensemble.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Mysterious Journey.